amount of effort can earn our salvation. But without effort, which is where the faith comes in, there is no salvation. And so what's happened is we've misunderstood the concept of grace to mean that it is without or it is to the exclusion of any choice, any participation, any involvement that man can bring to the equation. But if we remove involvement and participation from grace, we have removed man from grace because that is the whole purpose for which man was created, to participate and be involved in the interaction of God, including His grace. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. Today's podcast is a continuation of the message that Tori Bjorkland, president of TRC Ministries, was teaching in the previous episode. We've included the last couple minutes of that podcast, and now we will hear the conclusion of that message as Tori continues to look at the interactive nature of salvation. Here is part seven of What's So Great About Salvation. I want to look at, going back to Romans 5, verse 10, just point out a couple of other things. We kind of already talked about this, but I'm going to begin. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Saved by his life, what does it mean? It means this, uh, the atonement, the substitutionary death of Christ did not save us. It was his resurrection. It was his life that saves us. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ made available that life by which we may be saved. Without the death of Christ, there would be no salvation available to man. Without the life of Christ, remember what Paul said, by the way, about resurrection? What did Paul say about resurrection? If Christ was not raised from the dead, then what? We're still in our sins. We're still in our sins. Why is that? Because the death of Jesus Christ did not bring salvation. It was the resurrection of Christ that brought salvation. The death of Jesus Christ provided a sacrifice, as Hebrews 10 says, that can remove sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot remove sin. Remember that? But God has provided a sacrifice that can remove sin. Let me put it this way. Had he stayed dead, it isn't that we would have just been missing evidence. We would have been missing life. There would have been no life to be given. Had he stayed dead, there would have been no life to be given. And yes, his resurrection was indeed an evidence that God can do what he says he's going to do, which is what? Give us life and give it to us abundantly and eternally, an eternal type of life. But it, it wasn't just to show that he can do that. It is a proof. There's no doubt about it. And the, the reason that he made it evident, in other words, public, was so that we would have the opportunity to respond 
and understand. But had it not been public, it still would have been adequate. So without the forgiveness of sin, we could not be reconciled with God and we could not receive his life. But since there is an offering that takes away sin, we now have the opportunity to receive his gift of grace, which includes his life. It includes reconciliation and peace, but it doesn't end there. That was really just the genesis of it. The intent was to bring to us an eternal kind of life, to be, allow us to be participants in the divine nature. If his eternal kind of life is in us, then we will experience the same resurrecting power that Jesus Christ experienced as a result of life. That's the assertion of the gospel, is that that kind of life could not be kept in the grave. And when we have that kind of life, we cannot be kept in the grave. This is salvation, to have the eternal kind of life and having it in abundance, as Jesus said. Now, there's some implications here that have gone unsaid that I'd like to just hone in on a little bit further. We have a fear in evangelical Christianity, and, and partly, rightfully so. I mean, we came by this fear honestly, and that is that man will perceive or believe that man can earn salvation. If you look at the Reformation, um, they were battling that directly. The doctrine was that people could buy their salvation with money. People could obtain salvation by having it purchased by somebody else's money after they were dead. These, I think they called indulgences. And so it was misuse of a teaching and that and it had really gone off in the ditch. I mean, it was really, and it was really true that people believed that and were teaching that. And this is one of the things that Luther, for example, really struggled with and struggled against. And so if you on one side, what is it that you're going to emphasize if you're trying to teach against that? Free grace. You don't have to pay for it. Not only do you not have to buy it, but you can't obtain it through good works of your own. This is what Paul was preaching against, right? What was it that Paul, Paul was up against? He was up against people that said, you have to adhere to the law. And in their day, a particular version of some particular rabbi's expounding of that law. So into, you know, from 600 and some laws to 3,000 some laws. And by doing that, you would find favor with God, and therefore God would invite you into heaven with him. Now, this was what Paul was, was up against. And so we have things like Ephesians 2.8, for example, that says what? What does that say? Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
So it's by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of works. By grace you have been saved. But the point there that Paul was trying to get at is what? Not of works, right? Now, when you talk about works, what, you're, what he was talking about was merit, earning. Okay? There's no reference to effort here. There's reference to merit and earning. And interestingly, what's, what's happened in or, out of a fear of saying that man can earn salvation, this pendulum has swung so far to say man cannot participate in any way in salvation. That is not the point here. And I like the phrase that I heard Dallas Willard use, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. No amount of effort can earn our salvation. But without effort, which is where the faith comes in, there is no salvation. And so what's happened is we've misunderstood the concept of grace to mean that it is without or it is to the exclusion of any choice, any participation, any involvement that man can bring to the equation. But if we remove involvement and participation from grace, we have removed man from grace because that is the whole purpose for which man was created, to participate and be involved in the interaction of God, including his grace. And so we've really messed up that concept of grace. And so we find it in Romans 5, 17. Man's participation is the reception, the receiving. And that is what? That's faith. But I want to point out one last thing here. We'll just take a quick jaunt backwards from Romans 5 to the last few verses of Romans 4. Because, of course, that was the precursor to what Paul was saying in Romans 5. I like that word cursor. We just move our cursor back to verse 16 of chapter 4. All right, verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, calls into being that which does not exist. Okay, there's the thing. God is trying to give life to the dead. And now he talks about Abraham's faith. Verse 18, I want you to pay attention to what it was what did Abraham have faith in? In hope against hope, he, Abraham, believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. 
so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Okay, so he didn't ignore the facts. He considered them. Now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, Sarah was his wife. So he thought about the fact that his body was not under normal conditions, able to produce offspring, nor was his wife's body. He didn't ignore the facts, he considered them. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that he would provide an atonement someday for his sins. No, that isn't what it said? In Romans, isn't that the point? Being fully assured that what he had promised, who God had promised, God was able also to perform. Therefore, for that reason, be, for, for what reason? Because he was fully assured in God's promise. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in who? Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. I pointed this out last time. I want to point it out again. Faith that brings salvation is not faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Faith that brings salvation includes faith in that. But it's faith in God who sent Jesus as an atoning death for sin and raised him up again. It is faith in God, in the character of God, in the ability of God, in God saying what he means to do and being able to do what he says he plans to do. And we see, as Greg pointed out, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead gives us assurance that God has the power to do what he said he was going to do. Abraham, he, he didn't have precedent to look at, and yet he said, you know what? I think I'm going to go on God's side rather than on the fact that my body and my wife's body are unable to produce offspring under normal conditions. Shoot, this is not normal conditions. I got a promise from God. And it's a very specific promise. I'm standing with that. I'm going with that. I don't want to miss the last verse here. He, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our transgressions. Delivered up means what? Handed over to Pilate, to the Jews, put on a cross. He was given up for our transgressions. So he, that's, that's the role of that atonement sacrifice he was raised up for our justification it's not the belief in a doctrine that saves you it's the belief in the character and nature of God it's an interaction with God that is real that allows him the opportunity to give to us what it is that he's wanted us to have all along. An eternal kind of life spent with him in community and purpose. Abraham had a personal relationship with God. 
let me just last verse Colossians 2:12 just to kind of drive this home. Colossians 2:12. Colossians 2 is just so rich in so many ways. I'll start on verse 11 just so we get a little run at it here. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism this, by the way, corresponds to Romans 6. You see the same concepts. Buried with him in baptism, you also, in which you also, meaning in baptism also, you were raised up with him through faith in the doctrine of the atonement. I mean, again, it's not there. Through faith in the working of God. You were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And I'm so I'm not saying that heaven isn't a part of salvation. I'm not saying that forgiveness isn't a part of salvation. I'm not saying that, that these aren't a part of salvation. I'm saying that if that is our focus and we think that affirming a particular doctrine is what God is looking for, we've missed the point. The point is that we would have the kind of life that would be sustained forever and ever with God that won't be destroyed when it comes in the presence of God and that we have a purpose which is to reign with God and to do that effectively we get in communion with the entire Godhead immersed in the Godhead by the grace of God that's what salvation is about and anything short of that may be true as part of salvation but it's a true part and not the whole reality let me just close here with a word of prayer God I am I am at your mercy and all of us are every one of us Every human being is at your mercy. Some of us place ourselves there, while others refuse to acknowledge it. I thank you that you have been wooing my heart and the hearts of each of us individually to come into your presence, even with boldness, as the writer of Hebrews says, to receive from you the eternal kind of life that you want to impart to us. I pray, God, that every aspect of that life that we are not participating in, that we might not even realize is there, that you would open our eyes so that we can share in that aspect of the life that you give as well and get the full benefit even as we are yet on this earth. I pray, God, for what Jerry mentioned about the responsibility and the role that teachers have. I pray that you would just bring to light anything that I've said that might not be accurate according to truth, according to your word, but that you would confirm everything that is true and you would give opportunity for correction in the areas, if any, that may have been misrepresented here. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. 
Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.